Hello, and welcome to Low Orbit. So, last year, I went to an event at the Sioux Teatro Theater called Stories on Stage. Stories on Stage is a program that pairs a writer's work with an actor to perform that work. It's run by a genuinely nice person named Anthony Powell. One of the writers we featured on the show, John Cotter, had a piece called Shimmer Aquarium that was being featured as part of their program. The story was read by an actor named Lindsay Pierce. John reached out to me to see if I wanted to record it for this year program, and of course I said yes. So I went down to the theater with a recorder, and now I'm just going to play that story for you. So without further ado, here's Lindsay Pierce reading John Cotter's story, Shimmer Aquarium. Shimmer Aquarium was commissioned by Stories on Stage. It's a world premiere and will be performed by Lindsay Pierce, who you just met in the last story. She began her acting career with an illustrious turn as the country store cat in Mrs. Green's third grade class play and never looked back. She's been acting in the Denver metro region for over 20 years and narrates articles and stories for the National Library of Congress. As a member of the Boulder Ensemble Theater Company, she was seen most recently in their productions of Pride and Prejudice and Birds of North America and in Grapefruit Lab's Jane Eyre. Shimmer Aquarium is being sponsored today by two wonderful friends of Stories on Stage, Kathy Schwartz and Phil Cernanek. Kathy and Phil, you are the best. Thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, in her first appearance with Stories on Stage, here's Lindsay Pierce. Shimmer Aquarium by John Cotter. I left Shimmer Aquarium in the carnival heart of Rideau to drive four hours west for 800 gallons of fish tank. This is my story. You'd be surprised by what Reno doesn't have. Fish tanks, for one. Not the proper kind if you're an octopus. Not the kind you can't escape, no matter how smart your distributed cortex. No matter how the ganglia in your tentacles gang up and conspire with your central brain, the one just outside your mantle. The one shaped itself like a miniature octopus. Its arms, the brains of your arms below. I mean, Lucille's brain. The one I've given into at Shimmer Aquarium ever since Ragnar said he had a surprise to show me and easily tacked seven hours onto my week. You weren't joking about that? That plan? I asked, watching him slice open the me-sized cardboard box, seeing it fall away to reveal a plastic bag full of giant Pacific octopus and the feces of such a creature. She wasn't any bigger than a melon, albeit a distributed melon. The plan? Yeah, she's going to make us some cash, he said. My monster octopus. He still does the accent, even though he only spent one year in Sweden. He doesn't do it right. 
octopus. Already her bag rose aloft in his arms. How long was she in there? No idea, Ragnar said. It was expansive, smirking. She's only a baby, Nikki, my monster baby. I'm not a marine biologist. I'm a paramedic who got tired of watching humans OD and finds fish relaxing. I don't know about octopuses, except that this one looked halfway dead. She looked gray instead of colorful, wrung out somehow by the milky water. She must be in pain, or the octopus version of pain. Is the quarantine tank ready? Ragnar asked, still with that small smile on his face like he held an ace in the hole. He didn't have one. I said it was on back order. Finally, Ragnar said something inspiring. He said, oh shit. <laughs> Thus commenced frenzy. I moved fast as a striking eel, Ragnar mumbling about the box being wet, a hole somewhere depleting her water, as though for all the world he hadn't been fancy with his box cutter when he revealed her. I grabbed the big net off the wall, made for the wolf eels, scooping them out, rooming them with dogfish. When I worked as an EMT six months ago, I used to talk to my patients, narrating myself. That became tricky with some of the things Ragnar had sent here. You don't talk to emerald crabs or isopods. It would be like talking to a spider. But this octopus saw us. Even sick, there was a world in there behind her eye. We're going to get you some air, okay? I told her. I'm putting a tube in to get you used to the water. We'll just give it a minute. One end of the tube dangled into the eel's empty tank. The other eye sucked to start a flow, like stealing gas. I was stealing gas. Oxygen. It bubbled down into what remained of the water in her shipping crate as she listlessly pawed at the bubbles. Where'd she come from, Ragnar? Skip! Out in Canada! We'd had presents from Skip in the past. The wolf eels, the snailfish, the non-living lump sucker. Ragnar had told Skip his dream for the store. A weird dream. He wanted to start up a monster fight series, charging tourists to see which sea creature ate which. And we did get tourists. Ready to spend. It was worrisomely likely that he'd do it and profit. Ragnar wasn't rich, but he paid his staff like a rich man pays, which is to say he kept his money. EMTs don't make 15 an hour, and I wasn't making it from Ragnar either. Then again, so far as I knew, Shimmer Aquarium held the only wildlife on Reno's strip. Phosphorescence in their tank, a kind of geometric proof of the neon outside. They made Reno right. Until I heard Ragnar's monster fight dream for the first time and thought hard about finding a fish store in some other city. Gentle now, gentle. I lowered a colander into the water, furled the soft creature into its basket, strained her. 
Her eyes watched me. I'll keep her alive tonight, Ragnar promised me. You must go on a journey. He couldn't just tell me. He had to make it dramatic. You will go tonight. In his phony accent, go sounded like goo. To Sacramento. My friend Amy is an artist, but her dimples are especially pretty to older men, and art takes money. When I called her to see if I could sleep on her Sacramento couch, I learned the couch now lived in a more expensive home. So did she. A new boyfriend's condo. One of those spillover follies built with silicon money, spiral staircase, Olympic kitchen. If you inherited one of these condos, you'd immediately sell it, live off the money in Bali, run out of money there, and spend the rest of your life selling sunglasses. Amy's front porch looked over the river. I only had eyes for my phone. Octopuses, it turned out, had a bifurcated brain, less integrated than ours. They turn their left eye to predators, their right eye to prey. One eye doesn't understand what the other eye sees. I worried about what kind of care Ragnar was giving as I scrolled through octopus species to find out who I'd met that morning. If she was a giant Pacific octopus, as appeared worrisomely likely, she'd grow three times her current size and need a tank even bigger than the one I'd come west to collect, the one I'd just lugged into a van with four men's help. Amy wafted outside, came down beside me, set her chin on my shoulder, gazed at my screen. Fish facts? Invertebrates. Do you just want to stay out here? She was telling me to come inside. I'd caught her after dinner, and her rich boyfriend was there with a rich friend named Dennis. Saying hello in the foyer, I gathered they liked to brag at one another. I'd excused myself to the bathroom, then escaped to the porch for some research. Ragnar wants to start charging just to see the place, and now He's got an octopus, and I know what he wants to do with her, and it makes me sick. <gasps> Tentacle fucking? I said it was worse. He wants to fight them, Amy. The octopus, I mean, against who knows. Amy lacks my steady hand with ethics. Her eyes brightened. She's an octopus. She'll kick everyone's ass. Have you seen Blue Planet? <laughs> the boys clambered onto the porch. We were just talking about octopus fights, Amy said. Dennis, the rich friend, sat across from me. In half a second, I guessed at what bothered him most in the world. He wasn't young anymore. It must have only just happened. A little gray on the temples, lines on his eyes. He wore a wife-beater and knit cap. I gave him my left eye. <laughs> he said, you want me to fight one? Can you breathe underwater? I hoped my smile came off cold. I wish, he said. Do you dive? The tank's not big enough. 
I appeared to be flirting. It was politesse. Come on, come on, I mean scuba. Where did you see them? I told him I wasn't a diver. The octopus lived in Reno with me, far away. No way, he answered. No way, I'm gonna be there next week. Three minutes had elapsed since Dennis presented himself. Twice he looked at my chest, twice my legs, and his eyes at that moment tried to hold my own eyes. Other women must not mind. He was rich. Amy would see only opportunity. So you didn't answer. You like diving? My phone rang, Ragnar. I excused myself. Sorry, Rag. I should have let you know I've got the tank. Oh, good, good. I feel good about it, Nikki. Great. Listen, though, can you come back right now? Is she not doing okay? She's fine, he said. Only one little thing is, she's missing. <laughs> there was no time inside the aquarium because we kept the windows shaded, like a fishy massage place. But tonight, the overheads blazed. Rushing straight to Lucille's tank, I first saw a puddle and then saw Lucille, alive in her water. Redder, rounder, suckers meshed on the flash on the glass. Why did you say she was missing? She never was, he laughed, but not quite at himself. She was hungry. She eats like a soldier. Ragnar, where did you find her? He pointed to the crab tank. We kept emerald crabs in their silver dollar-sized things. It looked full at first glance, but first glance was deceptive. Crabs shouldn't float like that. Not unless their shells were empty. You fed them to her? He heard my accusation. He was proud of something. She didn't need me, but I put this there. He pointed at the bucket of fish flakes, holding the lid of her tank shut firm. Were you hungry? I asked her. I'm so sorry we didn't feed you enough, pretty. She was breathing better, rippling folds of her skin as she exhaled through her siphons, furling them open and closed like impossible ears. We have a name for her, he said, patting my shoulder like there was a small flame there he had to extinguish. Berserker! <laughs> that week she grew strong. I spent preparing a new tank because I was poor. If I was rich or knew how to count cards, I'd have quit. It was crueler to stay and keep her healthy for Ragnar's freak show than it would have been to leave. But I didn't leave. Kids liked to look at her. Kids unfairly dragged Torino. They'd stand a little distance from her tank, trying to puzzle out which part matched the pictures in children's books. One no-good little boy about seven wrapped his knuckles on Lucille's tank. On her skin appeared white spots. Is she a friend? He asked me. Saying yes felt presumptuous, like I was speaking for Lucille. 
Her skin spots white like that when she's tired. It was true. She spotted before she crawled off to her kelp corner to bed. So maybe don't knock on the tank and disturb her. The boy's mother looked at me like she wasn't sure which creature I was. She spoke not to me, but to her son. No, he likes you, baby. I can tell. It's a uh, she, I said, as I squatted by the bucket to vinegar scrub the wrought iron supports of the mega tank. It's a woman? Incredulous, as though I'd cast a spell on a shopper and transformed her. Ragnar approached when they were gone. I know you want to teach them. I admire that. But we are not an aquarium. We fed her restaurant-quality shrimp. I bought them out of my own paycheck, which I couldn't afford. Tuesday, she laced an arm around my wrist before she took dinner, lifting her eyes from the water to examine me. I detected no hostility, no sorrow. But then, I don't speak octopus. The door chimed. Footsteps. This is the octopus, Dennis said. He hovered in dress shirt, filling it with muscle. Gym muscle, not life muscle. You can tell from the absence of fat. No fights today, I said, ensuring the wolf eel tank was between us. Nah, I'm not into that kind of stuff anyway. No offense. This is the octopus? We talked about the octopus. I hadn't put the lid back on her tank. He saw that and winked before plunging his arm in the water. Careful, she has a beak. She seems nice to me. It's a little slimy. Lucille lingered in her corner, munching shrimp. But after a minute, she reached up an arm to his shirt cuff. He pulled her off gently, explaining he saw them all the time when he scuba off Puget Sound. I'm actually heading up there this weekend. I could show you. They come right up to you and show you around. I mean, they walk you through the whole reef. Wanna come? Sorry? He abandoned Lucille's tank for the wolfies. I drifted nearer the isopod. I'm saying you should come diving with me. It doesn't even have to be a date. Friday evening we head up. By 7 Saturday, we're in Octopus Town. He didn't look bad in our low light. Greens and blues. Puget Sound? Do you mean to the big house you own on an island right next to Bill Gates? Private plane to a helipad? Then we're chauffeured to the clubs? It's just a hotel room. But I'll book a second one for you. Come on, think about it. Are you certified to dive? It doesn't matter. I've got the stuff. If I hadn't been facing the door, I'd have missed Lucille trying to get away into the desert. She got straight out of her tank while I wasn't looking and made the short walk to the street side door, the one that exited onto Ralston. I probably said, God damn it, and stop, and wait, wait, like a word would deter her. By the time I reached the Ralston door, she had an arm up the edge of it, tasting the air outside. I shouted something about the colander being behind her tank as I threw the bolt shut. But Dennis was right behind me. Reaching down for Lucille with his hands. Don't pick her up. 
She's fragile out of the water. Jesus Christ, go and get the colander or you can go diving alone. Once she was under her lid, Dennis and a pair of gambled-out grandmothers watched the shop, and I ran to the CVS at the end of Spokane for Velcro strips to run under the door. I'd read octopus lids stay shut with Velcro. They can't get a grip on it. After I closed up the shop for the night, I spent some time off the clock with Lucille. I hope she found it quality. As I ran my fingertip pads across the frosted tank, she played along with me, snaking an arm, then two arms to follow. You couldn't take in the whole of her. I'd read they like rope dog toys, so I'd bought one for the tank and she held it, hidden in her parachute, the one that billowed while she perched by the filter, playing with the bubbles flowing in. Then, just as quickly, her smooth red skin would grow horned like sea foliage, and suddenly smaller, so much of her become so tiny. Then she turned rigid, ray-smooth, bare, horned, riling her limbs. She couldn't have been more beautiful. On Thursday, Ragnar arrived with another box. Inside clicked a pair of king crabs. I'm not going to be part of this spectacle, I said, starting a drip line from the isopod tank to the crab bag. The Sacramento tank was already scrubbed and cycling, a gleam and full of bubbles at the back of the store. It's like this in nature, Ragnar said. What's the difference if I feed her live crab or frozen? The difference is she has fun one way, less fun the other. And we profit. The crab still dies. In another job, I wouldn't have this worry. Maybe I'd see for myself in the waters off Puget Sound. The point is using it, Ragnar. The point is you're asking people in to get off on it. You'd rather they watch it on TV? On Friday morning, I sat with Lucille and thought hard about quitting. If I stayed, I'd be complicit, but I could keep an eye on her. She only meant money to Ragnar, but I saw her, the person in there. Even though one of us was deaf and the other couldn't speak in color. I put up the back and five sign and texted Amy. Dennis is a good guy, she assured me. Where's his money from? I don't know, consulting? He's a good guy, Nikki. How rich exactly is he? He owns his own plane, girl. Real money or pretend Trump money? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a weekend. Go. Baker Airfield was tiny, what airports must have been like in the 30s. A lone car puttered up to the stairs beneath Dennis's private plane. Private planes existed and I'd just flown in one. The runway stairs posed a question. How do I get down my suitcase? Take the back of this, I told him, 
You can keep one hand on the rail while I carry the other side. I'm telling you, no one brings their own air tanks. Confused, but resigned, he held the front of my bag at his back as we walked down the stairs. Even I don't do that. Is there O2 in there or what? I told him to please go slower down the stairs. Already sweat hugged my armpits. August air is hot all over, but humidity insinuates. Seattle insinuated its weather as we climbed down into it for adventure. The hotel wasn't far from the airport, an hour north of the city. Dennis was good on his word. There was a separate room one floor down from his own. I asked if we could eat at the hotel's dining room, complaining I'd had a long day and I'd be more fun tomorrow. I scarfed my hamburger, needing the calories for my secret plan. As soon as we paid the tab, he suggested another drink. Maybe his room? It's such an awesome suite up there. I don't even mean anything by it. I, I just want to show you. Just to hang out. You're sweet, I said. It was true. But I can hardly keep my eyes open and I want to be awake tomorrow. I'm good at lying. The things you learn about yourself. I changed, grabbed the bag, and sank deep into the backseat of an Uber by 8.15. Through the green outskirts, I-5 North to Samish Island grew clearer of cars the closer we drew, until it was just me, alone in the dark with the driver, the bald back of his Viennese head, and Lucille in the trunk, in the bag Dennis had helped me carry from the plane. I wouldn't see Dennis again in this life. You must miss the opera back home, I told the driver, anxious to get this over with. I go back twice a year, but Seattle has good opera too. I don't believe you. No, it does. My family saw Iphigenie en Tauride and it was perfect. Was Lucille scared back there? No more than she'd been on the plane, the suitcase with her bag inside never out of my sight. Isn't Iphigenie the one her father murdered? Not in this one. She's taken away before her father kills her by Diana. But in this one, she tries to kill her brother, so maybe not much better. I understand, I said. That happens all the time. Now, we need to find that breakwater. Can you use your brights? Rocks appeared in the windshield, dropping off into total dark where our brights couldn't shine. That's the water, I said. Drop me here. You have a boat or something? I said, sure. Opened the door. Then a knock happened in my chest. What if I tripped on the rocks? What if my cell phone died? Uh, listen, wait here for me. I'll be an hour. He said Uber didn't work that way. I should just use the app when I'm through. Uh, no, here, can you just sign off for the night? Uh, listen. I rustled through my bag for the money I'd withdrawn at the airport, gave him a hundred, which made him magnanimous. Take as long as you like, he told me, worried but reassuring. I learned something then about the German soul. There was plenty of oxygen in the plastic bag. I'd checked it fast before dinner, but if I didn't do this now, I wouldn't ever. 
Setting a sneaker on the shale was step one. Balancing the bag as I set down the other was step two. I cast my eyes down to my feet because looking up would unbalance me. A few steps down, I realized this would be easier without the suitcase, so I unzipped it and liberated her bag. Her shape was hardly visible in the dark, but I could sense a little motion in there. The ocean was quiet, in the way a full chorus can be quiet. I wish she could hear it. The water weighed 80 pounds easy and would be harder to carry the longer this took. Unlike Reno, Washington's warm on summer nights. I hadn't thought about that and was grateful, except that my arms ached after a minute and the rocks grew increasingly tricky to see as we moved out of range of the light. I sloshed the bag over my left shoulder and held my phone flashlight in my right. Shale throws shadows. The sea becalmed itself, but the rocks felt slippery. The far end of the jetty was farther than my flashlight could reveal. I'm so sorry, I told the unhearing Lucille. I wish this hadn't happened. I hope you can make a new home here. It doesn't seem bad. I called her gorgeous in my head, repeating it with each lurch to the next rock. I whispered it, almost coming headfirst down on a glacial boulder. Sorry, gorgeous. Scraping my ankle on a slimy gap in the shale. Gorgeous. I'm so sorry. Shallow waters would be no good for her. I had to go out as deep as I could go out. At last, I sat cross-legged, ankles smarting, on a flat rock six feet from the terminus. As my eyes adjusted, the phone light dead, I could make out her shape through the dark. I might have seen her the next day if I hadn't bailed on diving, hadn't taken my bags to Seattle Aquarium before it opened and asked them when and if they were hiring. On the jetty, I opened her bag. My palms were sweaty and the knot was made tight by the way I was clenching. So I dug my nails against the plastic and tore it. Don't leave quite yet, I told her as the water poured from the fissure I'd clawed in. I didn't want her to strike down with force and be hurt, so I held up the bag's plastic edges. She suckered onto one, startled. Keeping her with me meant straddling the jetty. But as I plunged my foot into the icy water, she found hold of the shale and slipped over the rocks as though the water had pulled her, pouring over my hand, strong and gone. There was no trace of her darkness in the darkness around me. And yet she could be anywhere under the surface. On the drive home, I'd ask for an opera.
This episode was produced in conjunction with Stories on Stage, with a special thanks to Anthony Powell for being so helpful with everything. Stories on Stage features some of Denver's very best actors and performances of short fiction that bring stories to life. It's a lot like your favorite book club, but on steroids. Be sure to join them for Zooming with Stories on Stage, a free micro-show airing live on Thursday, April 23rd at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit their website at storiesonstage.org. Lindsay Pierce has been acting in the Denver metro region for over 20 years and narrates articles and stories for the National Library of Congress. As a member of the Boulder Ensemble Theater Company, she appeared in their productions of Pride and Prejudice, Birds of North America, Ripcord, The Few, Mauritius, Shipwrecked, and Morissot Reclining. John Cotter's fiction and nonfiction have appeared in Guernica, Commonweal, Raritan, New Genre, and other magazines. Shimmer Aquarium appeared in the autumn 2019 issue of Washington Square, published by NYU's Graduate Creative Writing Program. John is a regular contributor to Electric Literature's writing advice column, Blunt Instrument, and will publish fiction in Electric Literature's recommended reading in the coming weeks. John's first book, Under the Small Lights, was appeared from Miami University Press in 2010 as winner of their novella prize. He teaches at Lighthouse Writers Workshop in Denver, and you can find more of his work at johncotter.net. And that's it for this week. But don't worry, we've still got more, yes, more show for you. In the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us here at the show, well, me, it's just me. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm on all the social medias, your Twitters, your Instagrams, Facebooks, and even good old-fashioned email at denverorbit at gmail.com. And of course, there will be links to everything in the show notes as per usual. And I'll be back in two weeks. <laughs>